Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Before we get started uh, this, this morning, I have a couple stories I want to tell you, just to kind of set the, the stage a little bit, or maybe not set the stage, or at least set the atmosphere for what we're about to do. One day, a preacher um, goes to visit an elderly lady, <clears throat> and as he was sitting there talking with her, he noticed on the coffee table there was a bowl of peanuts sitting there in front of him. Do you mind if I have a few peanuts, he asked the lady, and she says, no, of course not, help yourself. After about an hour and a half conversation, he gets up to leave, and he notices there's almost no peanuts left and that he had eaten them all. I apologize, he says to the elderly lady. He says, I only meant to eat a few. And she says, oh, that's okay. Ever since I lost my teeth, I've only been able to suck the chocolate off them. So what's the moral of that story? Be careful what you eat. Sometimes you need to ask questions. What's, what's, what's this all about right here? There were some children lined up in a cafeteria at a religious school, and they were lined up for lunch, and at the head of the table was a large pile of apples. Teacher made a note, take only one. God is watching. At the other end of the table was a large pile of cookies, chocolate chip, in fact. The little boy wrote a note, take all you want. God's watching the apples. <laughs> I love human nature. It's a joy to watch that. Three-year-old little girl was asked one time, where did you get those beautiful big brown eyes? She thought for a moment and she answered, well, they came with my head. (laughs) You got to love the wisdom of a child. Amen. Last week... We uh, took the time to talk about those times in our life when God seems silent and how they can seem to be very difficult to live with. We all understand that because we've all experienced them in some form or another, to some degree or another, moments where God seems distant or disconnected or we don't see him or recognize his moving and we can't feel him and sometimes you need to realize that those seasons are just a part of life it's the ebb and flow of living we all have good days and we all have bad days sometimes those seasons come and go and there's nothing more sinister happening than just life happening but there are times where those seasons come And the reason that they're there is because they are the result of choices that we have made. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 19, the Bible says this. Moses is writing, and he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you may live. And one of the things that you find out very quickly in life that that. Life, really, what we experience, life is largely 
because of the choices we make. And, and I, I've come to understand that through counseling and through ministering with people and working with people that oftentimes the, the, the problems and the circumstances that we get ourselves in, they're not very sterile. In other words, they're not very clean. They're not, they're not just simply black and white. Oftentimes the problems that we deal with, they're what we call convoluted. They, they kind of fold in on each other and oftentimes they are layers. And what you figure out is that many times the problems that you're experiencing right now is because of decisions or choices that you made days ago, months ago, maybe even years ago. And that what's happening now is not really about now. It was really about then. And, and so Moses writes and he says, look, I'm setting before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Uh, my son Andrew came to me this morning and we were talking about this and we were talking about how to win people. You know, when, when you think of things like this, when you, you look at Las Vegas, it's a trillion dollar industry in Las Vegas. How do you convince somebody that resisting that, you know, resisting all that that has to offer to the flesh, resisting that is better and, and allowing God to come in is better by far. How do you do that when that is so, it's so much geared to draw people? Well, what we have to understand is that a lot of that are the, that's filled with those choices that will draw us aside and, and, and it leads us to destruction. And we, we may like the moment, but we certainly don't like the destruction. Yeah. And so what we have to do is we have to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to show people that, 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 that the choices that you're making now are going to affect you down the road. It may not be immediate. It might be a year from now or two years or ten years from now, but the choice you make today is going to impact your life. Yes. Are you hearing me? And Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. He says, Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And what we, we learned there, Paul's statement oftentimes can be taken as a threat, but it's not a threat. It's, it's, it's the words from a loving father that says, look, I want to warn you how life is. If, you, if, if you're going to sow to your life, he says, and you sow to your flesh, he said, there is a very definite and specific result to that. And it's going to be that from the flesh, you're going to reap destruction and decay and, and corruption, all those things. It's going to work against you. The Bible tells us in the, in the Old Testament in Genesis that seed time and harvest will last as long as the earth exists. That means what you sow, you reap. You sow pumpkins, you get pumpkins. You, 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 you sow violence, you get violence. You sow hatred, you get hatred. You sow sin, you get the results of sin. How many know what I'm talking about? And so he tells us, he goes, look, you need to pay attention. He goes, it's kind of like the choice. I, I've set this up for you. I, I've given you this information so you can stack the deck and win. Are, are you hearing me? And he says, so your choices matter. And one of those choices that we tend to make that seems to be innocent and harmless, but is filled with bitterness and poison and leads us to real darkness and, dis and disconnection from God and distance from God is complaining. Yeah. <laughs> is complaining. So I want to, this morning, minister a sermon that I've entitled, Life in the Complaint Department. <laughs> 
<laughs> I tried to find a I tried to find a graphic that adequately and specifically captured the thought and a whiny little baby seemed to do the trick. How many know what I'm talking about? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read just a couple verses of scripture. It says this, starting in verse 14, it says, in everything you do, say everything. everything. No, no, say it again, everything. everything. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. Now, stop right there for a moment. You know, one of the things that you find out when you are a student of the Bible and you read the Bible, you'll find that there are those portions of Scripture and verses of Scripture that lend themselves to vagueness. It's like you read them and you're not really sure what it's talking about. And so you have to do your due diligence. You have to study and you have to, you know, your exegesis and all of the stuff that you do to bring it together. And, and, and those verses can speak to you where you're at. And oftentimes when people study them, people will come to different conclusions because people are different. And they'll speak to us on many different levels. But then there are those verses in the Bible that are very direct and they, you know, they don't mix any words. And so this is one of them. In everything. You know what everything is? Everything. everything. Put it together. Everything. The Greek word for everything is the word all. That was a joke that really missed. All things. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world filled of crooked and perverse people. Let your light shine brightly before them. Now, Paul, in our text under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, really does give us a tall order here. He's giving, he's speaking to us, and it's, it's, it, it seems a little bit, it seems, it's very direct, it seems simple, but for human nature and for us as Christians, it can be extremely difficult. In everything you do, he didn't define in the spiritual things you do, or when you go to work, or when you're at Safeway, or you're at the restaurant. And so when you're at the restaurant, and you order a cheeseburger, and you get a hamburger, and no cheese, stay away from complaining and arguing. Oh, wait, wait, that changes everything, doesn't it? When you go to pay your electric bill, and the poor girl behind the counter makes a mistake, stay away from complaining and arguing. When you go to the election booth on Tuesday and you go to elect a candidate, stay away from complaining. When you watch CNN on TV, wouldn't that's what you're doing? You're you're doing it right. Do you do do you you're doing something? You're watching CNN. Stay away. When you're watching the Cardinals football team, stay away from complaining and arguing. When you're seeing 
family at Thanksgiving and crazy Uncle Billy shows up. Stay away from complaining and arguing. When you go to fry your turkey in an outdoor turkey thing and it blows up in a flame of fire, stay away from complaining. When you go to KFC and there's still feathers on the chicken. When you come to church and it's a little cold or hot. Or the volume's high or low. Or or the lighting is not bright or dim. Or the pastor didn't shake your hand. Stay away from complaining and arguing. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. Have you ever have you ever met somebody who is a complainer? What's common about them is nothing makes them happy. Nothing. Zero, nothing makes them happy. Nothing satisfies. Nothing brings joy. Nothing fulfills except one thing. Complaining. They love it. They love to complain. That's what makes me happy. And complaining, listen to me has been a very serious problem for a very long time. And there's no one more proficient at it than the children of Israel. Because when you do a study of the children of Israel in the Old Testament, you're going to find that 25 different times the Bible records the children of Israel complaining after they left Egypt. Think about this for a moment. Let's just kind of, we're not even going to spiritualize it. We're not even going to go into the, you know, woo area. We're, we're just going to look at what it is. Time and time again, God delivers these people. He provides for these people. He defends them, but it's never enough. It's never just right. God feeds them with manna. Oh, manna again. Manna, 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 manna. I've had manna burgers. I've had manna soup. I've had, I've had manna shish kebabs. I've had manna baked. I've had manna sautéed and manna sauce. I've had manna, 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 manna. I'm tired of manna. Never mind that it is the miracle of miracles. The bread of life is being poured out of heaven upon them. But no, 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 no. That's not good enough. We want meat. Where's the beef? I want meat. And God goes, okay. And he, he almost rams quail down their throat. It's like, hey, manna wasn't good. You're not going to like the quail. <laughs> but nothing's ever right. It's never enough. They grew to be people who were demanding entitled and ungrateful. And they had a very, very, very small comfort zone. You ever met people with a very small comfort zone? It's too hot. It's too cold. It's like a half a degree. We, the, the thermometer on the wall is not sensitive enough to fix your comfort zone. It's true. I know people think, are you dealing with issues? Not at all. I'm dealing with complaining. 
I'm just talking about the things we complain about. Right. Oh, it's true. It's hot. It's cold. It's hot. It's cold. I think sometimes we just get too much into our comfort zone, you know. Yeah. We're all about comfort. But I'm going to tell you, we've got it made. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got it made. Listen to me. I, you know, I've been, you know, when I've traveled to Africa, I've been in situations that most Christians would never even tolerate. I mean, Africa is something, and I, you know, and, and I, you know, people think, oh, let's feel sorry. You know, Africans feel sorry for us. Right, right. And you say, why is that? Because in our abundance, we have very little. Because we don't know how to appreciate what we have. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, those Africans, when, when the first time I traveled to Africa, I went with Pastor Alex, and we went to Kenya, and we were in a church that the building was probably... It was probably about from that wall to about, well, probably about right here. So from right there wide, about that long, with about the same size platform. And in that area right there, there was 1,500 people. Wow. And it was a metal roof, no insulation. Wow. And we came one hour after our service started. He said, why is that? Because they had a half hour to go for song service. They have song service for an hour and a half. And when they have song service, they don't, it's not, it's, yeah, and they're, 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 they're going for it. They're dancing. They're celebrating. Why? Because Jesus gives a hopeless place hope. And when you walk in, when you walk into that place, uh, there is a smell of body odor that assaults you. You walk in and body odor walks up to you and goes, Welcome. It punches you right in the face. It nails you hard. You go, wow. Holy cow. And I was amazed at how quickly you could get used to that smell. And you walk in there, and these people in these, and they're sitting, they're not sitting on padded chairs like this. They're sitting on, on benches, and that's, I'm being liberal when I call them benches. I mean, they're basically two logs with a log on top that somebody's sanded down a little bit. And that's what they're sitting on, and they got hundreds of people on them, thousands. And then they walk you in. So there's a, a, a person that is the guest coordinator, and they walk the pastor and Alex and I in, and we walk up front. And as we walk up front, up front they have these you know those plastic white chairs you get from Walmart you put on your patio? That's what we get to sit in. Oh, wow. Wow, no kidding. No, when, when you go from a log to that, that's a lazy boy. And then, and then another girl comes out, and she has two Pepsis in bottles with the, with the dew running down the bottle. It's ice cold. And there's 1,500 people that can't afford this. And they're giving it to me, and I went, no way, uh-uh, I ain't drinking it. There ain't no way on the planet. Alex elbows me, drink to, I'm not drinking it in front of all these people. He goes, if you don't, you offend them. Because they're honoring you. They love you. They're not complaining. They love you. They honor you. You're the man of God. You came to speak to their eternal soul. People who have nothing give everything. People who have every reason to complain refuse. Anything outside of our infantile comfort zone, we tend to complain and whine. 
I'm stunned by the story in Exodus. How can these people complain like they do? How can they? How can they be so ignorant? How can they be so forgetful? How can they be so ungrateful? The God of the universe had just defeated the most powerful man on the face of the earth. God didn't just humble Pharaoh. He broke him and showed the world how powerless he really was. Slaves and their God left him and his nation in shambles. And that display of power sent vibrations throughout the world, inspiring fear and awe. Yet Israel's response to this spectacular deliverance from Egypt was not praise. It was not worship and wholehearted trust. Instead, Israel responds with grumbling, complaining, murmuring, quarreling. Oh, brought us all the way out here. Did you ever think of a thing called water, Moses? Didn't you realize you got a million people, all our cattle, all this stuff, and you're going to bring us out in the desert and there's no water? Did you draw a map beforehand, Moses? Did you, did you even think of bringing water? Where's the beef, Moses? Where, where's the meat? How about the food? What, what are we going to eat? I have blisters on my feet, Moses. Never mind that my shoes aren't wearing out. I, so I got, they're just not that comfortable. Moses, oh, exactly who died and left you in charge after all? Wow. There you go. And, and furthermore, are we there yet, Moses? How long is this little journey going to take? I wonder, did you bring us out here to die because there wasn't enough graves in Egypt? Wow. You know, I remember, the onion, I remember the onions and I remember the leeks. and Man, we had it so good in Egypt. We, we had, man, we were just, Egypt was the bomb. Yeah, we had to put up with a little bit of lashing, you know, the taskmaster, he'd just beat us every day, and oftentimes when they got mad capriciously without reason, they'd make us make bricks without straw, and they had to, and then they would double the order, but hey, and then if we didn't do well, they killed our children, and, yeah. and, and you know what, they separated families, and they, they abused us in every way, and we were slaves to the nth degree, but hey, we had onions to eat. What do we got out here? Just angel food. Huh. What's up with that? They developed what I call spiritual amnesia. They had quickly forgotten God's gracious and miraculous deliverance. The people of Israel on the heels of unthinkable miracles with their pockets full of Egyptian money and gold and silver and jewelry grumbled at their less than five-star accommodations in the desert. See, this wasn't just a headache-induced grumbling or a low blood sugar moment. It was faithlessness. It's the heart that says, I know better than you, God, And if only you would follow my plan. And if there was ever a people who suffered from corporate spiritual amnesia, it was Israel. God has delivered these folks time and time again. He has provided in impossible situations. Yet the next problem that confronted them, all they can do is complain. And that complaining had a result. 
it caused them to end up wandering in the wilderness. See, complaint became the fertile soil of doubt, which became the vehicle from preventing them to enter into the promise. The reason this choice oftentimes distances us from God is because God's not up in heaven with his arms folded going, oh, here they go again, complaining. And he's not mad. But our complaining severs our connection from our side with him. Our complaining takes us down a road that leads us away from him. Our complaining blocks us from receiving from him. Because when he gives... We take it in suspicion. What's this for? Everything God had done for his people thus far had been done to demonstrate that he was not only able, but he was willing to care for them. That he wanted to care for them. And it was such a wonderful display of God's grace and his goodness. Yet more was never enough for them. And this would go on to become their character and their identity throughout the remainder of the Old Testament. And oftentimes it would lead them into the darkest days of their life. Because see, complaining not only kept them out of the promised land, but complaining later on caused them to seek other gods. They got tired, with, tired of the one they had. Let me tell you a secret about life. The secret about life boils down to this. Who's going to be boss? Who's going to be in control? Are you going to be in control or is God? Or is some other thing? Is drugs, alcohol, immoral living? Your family, your wife, your job, your finances? your car, your pleasure, what's going to control your life? Is it going to be God? Are we going to submit to the mighty hand of God? Oftentimes we say we will, but we we bring that thing into a place of suspicion because we just never investigate it deep enough to understand it. And so what ends up happening is we become very uh, uh, doubtful because we're complaining. Why isn't this working? Well, maybe maybe... You know, it took you 30 years to tie the knot you're in. You might take more than a couple days to untie it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And unfortunately, this also characterizes and identifies many Christians today. This spirit of complaining. So let's take a few moments and examine the phenomenon of living in the complaint department. Because if we're going to avoid the trap of complaining, then we need to understand the truth about complaining. See, complaining begins with a thought of discontentment. It's like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I like this. I'm, I don't know if I feel good. How is it that the highest level or the highest standard of judgment in the land is how I presently feel? That's a good question. It's worthy of an answer, isn't it? It's because of the fact that we're trained so often to identify what's going on based on how I feel. 
Well, let me tell you something. Feelings are good. And we love to have feelings. But if you're not careful, if you don't have maturity and have understanding with those feelings, those feelings will lie to you. That's where we get this statement, how does something that feels so right be so wrong? Because the feeling is being directed to the old nature, to the flesh, the old man. It's an enticement of the old life. And so it feels right because that seems to be our natural bend. And so we come into this place and it just feels right. It feels good. But then we get into this place where it don't feel right anymore. We don't even, we don't, it's, it, we, and we do it without regard to the truth or, or to reality. And so what happens is it grows into this word of dissatisfaction. And then those words of dissatisfaction mature into a habit of complaining. And in the end, the habit of complaining becomes a curse of destruction. And the bottom line is that, is that complaining is a spiritual problem that that's deeply rooted in the soil of discontentment. See, because discontentment magnifies what's past and vilifies what's present without regard to truth or reason. And so what happens is we look into the past and we go, see, that's always, that's, see, see, nothing changes. This is the way it is. And we vilify the moment rather than saying, you know what, today's a different day. I love, I was, I was sharing this with a person the other day. I love what Gandhi said. And I don't recommend Gandhi, but this one point, it was worth repeating. He was teaching his disciples one week. And he was giving them all this information. And they ended the class, and it was a great day, and they went on with their life. And a week later, they sat down again, and Gandhi begins to teach them again. But he teaches them the direct opposite of what he taught them the week before. And the disciples went, whoa, hang on, time out. You said this last week. He goes, ah, but I've learned something since then. It amazes me, church, how much we, we just are about the moment. We got we to gotta get bigger than the moment. We got to stop looking at our feet. We got to start looking down the road a little ways. Can you say amen? We, got, we can't vilify the present and magnify the past if somehow that, that is the standard. Things are changing. See, when we're disconnect, discontent, we think life or God owes us something more than we're currently enjoying. And that's when we begin griping and complaining. And the person with the, a discontented heart has the attitude that everything he does for God is too much and everything God does for him is too little. And the truth is, complaining really is a heart problem, isn't it? See, Israel grumbled at their enslavement. See, when they were slaves, they grumbled. Oh, man, I'm a slave. They prayed, God get us out, God got them out. God got them out, I mean in a high hand way. God got them out impressively. It was a jailbreak to all jailbreaks. It was like, wow. But then it wasn't enough. They grumbled when Moses came on the scene. They grumbled as they're wandering in the wilderness in safety. You say, in safety? Yeah, no nation could come against them. They had a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They had food. Water flowed out of a rock. 
They had everything they needed. Their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes did not wear out, and their strength did not wear out. But their complaining was not rooted in their scenery, was it? See, most of you know that um, I'm not real fond of the desert because I like rain and green. But I could tell you this, if I don't deal with my complaining heart, I can move to Seattle and turn it into a desert. You say, why is that? Because the desert comes with me. See, the desert isn't my surrounding. The desert is my complaining heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Their grumbling and whining and thanklessness was their heart's response to God. That's how they were responding to God. And the same is true for you and I. Thanklessness and grumbling, regardless of your situation, reflects your heart. And it threatens your faith and your joy. And it will eat at you more than any cancer on the planet. It will penetrate to the core and it will rot you from your heart out. Complaining robs us of our joy. It destroys our peace. It hinders our forward progress. It undermines our faith. And it brings about a curse that will make us vulnerable. And that's exactly what it did to the children of Israel. So let's real quick take a, a look. Real quick take a look at, at, those, the, at these complainers and how they work. And the first one... I identify, and I have, to, I have to be real honest with you, I, I fit into this category. It's called the whiner. These people wake up negative, and they rise and whine. Just waiting for that to land. It's called, a pun. it's called a pun. They rise and whine. Not rise and shine. They, they rise. You got it? If you have to explain it, it don't work. See, the telltale sign of a whiner is they have a mantra in life, and this is what it is. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's, it's whatever has happened, it's not fair. I deserve better than this. You know how long I've been serving God? I got saved when I was seven. Filled with the Holy Ghost when I was 12. Called in the ministry at 16. And I pastored my first church at 20. It ain't fair. I ought to have more than this. I'm going to be 53. Yeah, you are. What's the math on that? 46 years of salvation. It ain't fair. I should, be pre- I should be pastoring a really big church. It ain't fair. I give up. I work harder than anybody in this place. What do you people do anyway? The other day, I was driving down Stockton Hill Gauntlet Road. And I was complaining, believe it or not. And I was whining. 
I was whining because it's taken me eight minutes to get home instead of four. They're putting in new water pipes. Yeah, they are. And then they're going to pave the road. They ought to do it at night when I'm sleeping. It ain't fair. Never mind that I go to work at 8 in the morning and I go home at 1130. It ain't fair. God said, shut up. No, no, you don't understand. I heard the words, shut up. No, no, I'll repeat it. I'll give it to you a second time. Shut up. You whining little baby. Yeah. Shut up. Shut up. You see, you know, normally, because I usually say, God, God, I'm real fragile today. You need to be nice to me. But today, that day, he wasn't. He's like, shut up. You whiny little baby, stop whining. Be thankful. You're going to drive on a real, and, and then I was like, oh, yeah, and then they're raising our taxes. It was stinking raising our taxes. Stupid. I don't spend enough money in this town for my taxes to matter. It ain't hurt me none. One percent. One percent. It's a penny on a dollar. One penny. A penny. I want this penny. It ain't fair. You ain't getting my penny. I'll drive on potholes and complain about them before you get my penny. You know, there are people that will drive 35 miles and spend $40 in gas to save a dollar on a tank of gas. It ain't fair. See, we got we to gotta have a checkup from the neck up. It ain't fair. I want to tell you something. I'm going to bust your bubble. Life ain't fair. But God is just. Now, what I did not say, and please do not quote me as saying it because I haven't said it. God's not fair either. But he is just. See, fair to us implies equality. In other words, it implies that everybody, regardless of circumstance, should have the same. That is not Bible. A man reaps what he sows. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. See, what the world has programmed us to believe is that those that sow sparingly should get the same amount as those that sow bountifully. Those that sow sparingly should get the same amount as those that sow bountifully. That somehow the harvest should be the same for everybody. It's not fair. But what God is, is a just God. He's a just God. What does that mean? It means that he is going to bring justice to bear upon the things of life. So in other words, he's going to look at our circumstances and we are going to be the product of exactly what we've sown, exactly what we've chosen. We will get what we desire. And what we desire, we speak out of our mouth. My father-in-law, Dan Roy, came to me this morning after the 830 service, and he said, you know, the children of Israel kept saying, 
You brought us out here to die. And they precisely did that. God said, I'm going to raise, I'll raise up another generation. And it wasn't because he wanted to. It was because their complaining forced him. The second kind of guy, and I guess I fit in this one too, is the martyr. No one, no one, no one, no one, say it with me, no one, appreciates me. No one. Oh, I know you say nice things on Facebook, but hey, you know, you got, you're supposed to. That you're, you're just doing it for you. You don't really appreciate me. Nobody works like I work. Nobody, nobody sacrifices like I sacrifice. Nobody. Nobody does it. And I'm just, man, I'm just, man, life stinks. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to do this Christian thing anymore. Man, there's so much pressure. You know, ever since I became a Christian, I got a lot more problems. Never mind the fact that really what happened is when you became a Christian, you became aware of the problems that you have. We love being the martyr. I and I alone. See, me and Elijah, we hang out under the tree. Just kill me now, God. And God has to remind me, he'll get, get up. Get up. Go back in there, I got 8,000 people that haven't bowed their knee to Jesus. Or Baal. I've got 8,000 people that are wanting to serve. They're looking for a leader, and you're out here sitting under the tree being a martyr. Get up. Go do what I called you to do. It's not about you, John. It's about me. But we hang out in Martyrville. Nobody knows what I'm going through. And see, those people, see, martyrs are professional at having pity parties. When we get sick, when we get under pressure, when problems and trials come our way, nobody can understand it. You and you alone. I and I alone. It's a martyr. It's all about complaining. The next one is the cynic. And I kind of fit there too. Cynic, their, martyr, their, their, their favorite phrase is this. Nothing will ever change. <sighs> Nothing ever changes. I go to church, and I go to church. I read my Bible, and I go to church. I read my Bible, and nothing changes. Nothing, nothing ever changes. Nothing, nothing. It don't change. It don't change. The problem is, is that what we tend to do when we're the cynic is we tend to speak death into everything. Are you hearing me? What we do is we tend to say things that undermine everything we're believing God for. Well, I know he says he's a healer and I'm believing him for it, but, you know, it ain't done, and nothing's happened yet, so I don't know. No, we've, we, we, we've got to be convinced I don't care what the circumstances look like. I don't care. Listen to me. And I'm saying I'm not being flippant. I don't care if I'm on my deathbed and I make heaven home. 
I don't care. He's still my healer. I don't care. And I don't believe healings for the other life. I believe healings about this life. But I don't care. My circumstances will not define my God. Are you hearing me? But see, what the cynic wants to do is the cynic wants to redefine based on circumstance. We become cynical and critical and suspicious. Then the fourth one is the grouch or the curmudgeon. They're just grumpy. Nothing's ever right. It's never good enough. You know, have you ever gone to, and you, you, you can identify a grumpy person. They always send their food back. <laughs> I know, I'm shooting arrows. I know, I know. You guys, I, I know. This is, this is really good for you. This is okay. Look at, I, you say, is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. But look at if your hamburger comes and it doesn't have cheese and you ordered a cheeseburger, dude, just eat the hamburger, man. Right. Ain't that big a deal. I ordered cheese with this. What do you guys, shorten me? No. There's not a conspiracy to make you cheeseless. The problem with sending your food back is you tend to get more than you bargained for when you get it back. Right. How about a little cheese and spit? We'll hide that right under that cheese. Hey, I've gone into restaurants and I've eaten whole meals that I didn't order. I went and ordered a cheeseburger and got chopped suey. Looks like we're having chopped suey tonight. You say, well, wait a second, Pastor. Doesn't that mean you can't? No, look at, you know, somewhere along the line, I'm just going to relax. It's okay. It's all right. I didn't order this. It's all right. It's okay. Maybe God wanted me to have that. I don't know. I'm not even going to super spiritualize it. It's, you know what? It's probably better for me than a cheeseburger anyway. But see, somewhere along the line, what happens is nothing's ever good enough. Is that the best you can do? Really? That's it? We get grumpy and grouchy. It's all about complaining. And finally, the last one, and I'm going to move along here, is the accuser. I was reading the other day in my daily stuff, and I was reading in the book of John. John chapter 8, verse 44 says, and, and, uh, Jesus is speaking to Pharisees, and he says, you guys are of your father, the devil. He's a liar and the father. There's no truth in him. And see, no one's ever more like the devil than when they're lying. But there's also something that the devil is, is he's the accuser of the brethren. And we are never more like him than when we're accusing. And church, let me tell you, some of the worst accusers on the planet are Christians. And accusation, accusing has its roots in complaining. And they accuse. Accuse, accuse, accuse. And they impugn on people's honor and integrity. Because what they're doing is they're making statements about that person without all the facts or based on their perception and because they're dissatisfied, because they don't know, because they don't understand and because it's not working out the way they want to, they're going to accuse the other person. 
See, if we're going to defeat the vice of complaining, then we're going to have to catch it in its infancy and work to build the power of contentment in our life. See, contentment for the believer is the conviction that God loves us and will provide for us and he is absolutely in control of every situation, even the difficult ones. That though I do not see or understand what's going on, my God is aware of all that's going on. And he is right here with me right now. See, when that happens, when I get that belief system in me, it changes me. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, Paul writes, Not that I speak regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound, and everywhere and everything I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. We often quote verse 13. We often forget the other verses. Verse 13 is about everything that followed it, or about preceded, I should say. I can do that. I can, I can be hungry, and I can still be content. I can have more than enough and still be content because my contentment is not based on my present circumstance. My contentment is based on who Jesus is in my life. Are you hearing me? So how do we do this really quick? I'm going to go through this quickly. Number one, we've got to admit it's a problem. The problem is, is, is that a lot of times we don't want to admit that. We don't want to say that, hey, I'm a complainer. But let me tell you something, church. The reason I preach this message is because several times throughout my Christian life, I've had to look in the mirror and go, you're a complainer. And you need to knock it off. And I, need, I had to hear the words of the Lord when he said, shut up. And I had to admit it. And then I had to take responsibility for my own life. Rather than looking for the reason for my problem in other people, I had to take a good look at me. What's going on in me? In Proverbs 19, verse 3, it says, Some people ruin themselves by their own stupid mistakes and then blame the Lord. That's a whole sermon right there, folks. Don't complain how the ball bounces if you're the one that dropped it. Are you hearing me? Then we need to develop an attitude of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. In all. Now look, he didn't say for all circumstances. He says in them. For this is, is God's will for you. It's God's will that you be thankful. In everything. And finally, we need to learn to practice speaking positively. Church, the the reason that I I preach this, and I'm going to shut up and let you go home. The reason I preach this today is because too often I find people ending up in places of darkness, places of controversy and sin and torment and, and setback and all those places. Christian people. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why is that happening? It's because of decision-making. And one of the decisions they've made is they've gotten themselves caught up in the whirlwind of complaining. And when they get caught up in the whirlwind of complaining, they begin to sever their lifeline. It's not that God's in heaven. Look, I want to make this very clear. It's not that God is capricious in heaven saying, I'm not doing nothing for you. That's not it. God's heart's broken. 
It's we set the stage. What we do is we shut the door. There's a verse of scripture in Revelations that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone answers, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. That scripture is written to Christians. My question is, why is the door closed? And why is Jesus having to knock? He ought to have free access. He ought to feel welcome that he can come in. My children do not knock at my house. They walk in. Hey, they walk in and go, hey, where are you at? I at least thank God for that because if I'm running around naked, at least I got warning. But why does Jesus feel like he has to knock? And why is that door closed? Because of the fact that sometimes we get caught up in stuff and decision making and, and problems. And one of them is complaining where it shuts the door on God. And so church, we need, to, we need to do some self-examination and say, wait a second. Is the reason I'm where I'm at today, is it? It could be. I mean, maybe it's not, but it could be because I've just got caught up in complaining. Can you say amen to that? Father, right now, we just pray, God, that you would cause this, God, to be written upon our heart, God. Lord, that you help us, encourage us, God, strengthen us in this. Father, let this revelation penetrate our life and our minds and our hearts. And Father, we pray that you would help us, that when we get into that temptation to complain, to, 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 to speak, when we ought to just be quiet, Father, we pray that you would help us there. We give you all the glory and all the honor, and we love you today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? Our prayer team is coming, our ministry team. If you have a need of any kind, come on up. Let them minister to you. Let them touch you and pray for you. And for the rest of you, we want to release you today. You go. I apologize for the time. You go. Have a great day. Enjoy yourself. Don't complain about the time. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.